Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. My name is Joanna. I'm your host today. And I am going to spend some time talking about um, something called religious trauma syndrome. don't know, I am actually a licensed therapist. One of my specialties is trauma. I've been in the field for well over a decade, probably, well, in the actual clinical, clinical field, 20 years, but working in different capacities. Um, but I've been a trauma therapist going on almost 15 years. So a, uh, what would you call it? A new designated sort of, I guess you could call it like a diagnosis, though it's not actually right now considered a formal diagnosis. By formal, I mean it's not in the DSM manual that a lot of psychiatrists and therapists use to actually diagnose people, but it is um, gaining traction, and it is called Religious Trauma Syndrome. RTS is the acronym. It is considered like a PTSD, a post-traumatic stress disorder um, where people, due to their involvement in religion, some pretty intensive religious experiences or the indoctrination of it, feel that they have suffered long-term emotional, sometimes physical consequences because of their experiences. As in with any trauma, um, nothing, it's never the same across people or children. So what I wanted to do is just kind of give a brief overview of what our scene or sort of what is the grouping of symptoms um, most common with this disorder? Again, it's not a formal clinical disorder, but this is sort of sometimes how these things get added in as people research it, talk about it, and a new diagnosis is attached. But some of the things common, some of the patterning common with this um, syndrome is impacted or impeded development. This can be social, emotional, or sexual. Um, from my experience in working with people who feel that they have been negatively and significantly impacted by their involvement with religion, it, it's not really specific to any, which is why they say religion. You could, one could say that this could even be um, cult, but um, is delays or struggles or lack of achieving milestones in these arenas, so social, emotional, sexual. A lot of times when people have trauma, they struggle in interpersonal relationships. This can be in partnership, this could be with family, this could be with friends. Um, a lot of trauma is stored as a negative core belief system about oneself, so a lot of people um, have a very specific negative lens of themselves or what their role is or their value. So obviously if someone feels like they're not good enough, if they are bad, if they're not worthy, this could directly impact their ability to have balanced or fulfilling relationships with other people. Even if the other person on the other side is capable, the person with the trauma often feels limited. Um, depression, anxiety, and other mental health concerns are common patterning. Almost always when I work with someone with trauma, they have complaints of either anxiety, panic, and or like low moods or depression. Um, I believe 
from my work, I what I usually see is that a person isn't necessarily wired for depression or anxiety. It's a, it's almost like a symptom of the trauma. So a lot of times when I've worked with people, or most times when we've done the actual trauma work, the, the depression or the anxiety, which most people are quite aware of and actually sometimes seek treatment for that, um, resolve itself. Um, it's really it's really symptomatic of trauma. I've talked about that in prior podcasts, but the the low moods often are activated when someone's sense of shame, negative self-worth are activated. The anxiety panic is when someone can get triggered with a lot of like fight, flight, fear, fun, um, and go into a patterning sometimes related to that. So there's kind of like a high and a low that often comes with trauma, um, sometimes people have one or the other. Sometimes people have both. Another symptom is poor decision-making skills. What I find is a lot of people, um, and this isn't limited to, but a lot of females that I've worked with have really been taught that they are subservient in their role. Um, and so a lot of times they struggle in making any sort of choices related to what would benefit them because they've really been indoctrinated to either seek out authority, like a like the church members or the authority within the church um, are the ones with the answers, not oneself, if that makes sense. Also, sometimes they're, they've learned to be subservient. So whether it's a family member, a parent, um, or even their partner, they will defer decision-making to other people. And this can create a lot of internal conflict because sometimes what has been decided for them is not a match. Um, and they can feel it on one level. On the intuitive, emotional level, we know that on a cognitive level, there's almost this programming that we don't have the right to choose, we're not worthy of that, that our role is to be, you know, subservient or to defer such decision-making. So there, there can be this huge internal conflict that I see arise with people where it almost seems wrong for them to prioritize what they need or want over anybody else. Um, another example of a common pattern is lack of self-confidence and self-esteem. Again, this is really related to the sense of worthiness. Um, I find with RTS, religious trauma syndrome, that guilt and shame is a core aspect of this. Um, so this is very heavy. This can make us feel like we're bad, we're unworthy, that we don't have the right, that we're selfish. We don't have to, the right to ask for things. Um, greed, vanity, materialism can kind of fall into this. So um, someone just thinking that they're needing just sort of what people without this syndrome might think is a basic level need in a relationship, they could find that they feel like they're very needy and demanding because of it. Um, sort of the baseline is skewed is what I tell folks when I'm working with them is like, and, and normal what quote unquote is normal, which what I mean by normal is balanced, can seem so skewed to them that it seems wrong. Um, but it's more because their standpoint is has been so skewed that they just think that they're not deserving of anything. Um, and this can be very hard to sort of move out of this and help people kind of work to a more balanced perspective of healthy boundaries and things like that. Um, which, again, brings the next... <clears throat> symptom which is poor interpersonal boundaries. When someone has been taught to prioritize um, decision making or the needs of others, like we in that role are really good at sort of displacing our own needs and to even focus on our own needs can be seen as um, 
like I said, selfish and it can really launch a person to feel like they're bad and go into kind of a shame-guilt spiral. Um, and so, of course, pervasive feelings of guilt and shame are very prevalent in this. Difficulty in forming healthy adult relationships. This can be a struggle if you have someone who doesn't have RTS, their expectations and their um, ways of communicating and relating can be very different than someone who does have RTS. And it can cause sometimes a gap between the two, um, frustrations in communication, um, where a person with RTS, what I have found, really sometimes struggle in vocalizing their needs um, and really kind of... Um, it just creates an issue. Sometimes it's because the partner actually wants to know this and it's hard for the person with RTS to vocalize it or even identify what they want. And sometimes partner selection reinforces that they don't have the right to focus on their own needs, that they're there to sort of serve the needs and purpose of somebody else. Nightmares and uncontrollable thoughts about trauma. Um, if there has been any abuse within the system, um, or what I find is if there hasn't been any sort of actual like physical sexual abuse related to this, the verbal emotional abuse is just really this constant feeling of invalidation, um, of unworthiness, not deserving, feeling really poorly about oneself. And so a lot of the intrusive thoughts or nightmares can be themed around just sort of not being worthy, not being loved, not being good enough um, in this the, the angst sort of around that. Avoidance behaviors, avoiding anything, person, or place that reminds you of the trauma. Um, sometimes what happens is I find that a lot of times people, especially if they've gone through like a spiritual awakening, they'll kind of move from, a lot of people I've worked with, a lot of intuitives have really been deeply um, ingrained in religion, either by choice or upbringing, really, really were strong in that for quite a number of years and then they sort of it's like a, a pendulum swung right they kind of went into this like almost so a lot of people sometimes went into this total rejection of it they would avoid some people i know would avoid any ceremonies or rituals with family members or friends like this includes weddings or baptisms that would be related to them entering and like a religious space they, they didn't want anything to do with that um, sometimes there's a lot of anger, a lot of rejection. It's sort of a black and white process of, um, really kind of almost like flipping to the opposite side of the, the continuum, um, in avoidance, avoidance of religion and avoidance of sometimes talking about it, avoidance of anything related to that, avoidance of rituals, um, that involved it. And oftentimes in the healing work, they sort of swing somewhere in the middle. It can be very hard to define sort of either your religious spiritual practice if you're defining it by what it's not. So when people start to go like, hey, I was raised maybe, I'll just use an example, I've worked a lot with people who have left the Mormon church and it's, so, it's been so part of their upbringing that if they've left the church, it's very difficult for them to sort of, as they call it, deprogram from that and kind of know what they want to retain and what they don't. It's almost like a black and white process. They feel like they can't have anything. And it defined them for so long. Sometimes there's almost a sense of loss of identity, even if it's part of, if, even if they don't want to identify with it, there's sort of a loss. There's this vacancy. And it's like, what do I put in there instead? And that can be very confusing 
because I find that's when a lot of sh uh, shame, guilt, and fear pop up, right? If, like in Christianity, some branches of faith, like, you know, you're really rejected out of not only the community, um, but you're, you, there's a sense of being kind of condemned, right? And I know that that's often the case sometimes even in Mormonism is like, you know that you are viewed in a negative light, that you've fallen away, that you've succumbed to darkness if you have moved out of the church, even by choice, but it's very stressful. So that I find that there's a lot of loss involved, um, loss of relationships, loss of community, loss of traditions, but also sense of loss of self. Um, and it can be hard to kind of know how to rebuild and really kind of recreate an identity, a new identity that maybe incorporates some aspects of what your someone was raised with and or maybe not. Um, and then another symptom common with RTS is health concerns. So I've talked about this in my prior podcast as well. Like trauma really sits in our bodies, right? It sits in our energetic and our physical bodies. And as much as we might be cognitively disconnected from something, and we can, I always tell people, you can convince yourself of anything in your head. Um, so you might have created a narrative of not caring or trying to like tell yourself that it's all okay, but on a core level, you might not feel like that's the case. So there can be a discrepancy between what we're saying to ourselves and what we're feeling. And that's where a lot of internal conflict really arises for people. Um... So it causes a lot of stress. A lot of people have headaches. They'll have trouble sleeping. They can have various illness. Maybe they have a lot of respiratory issues. It can be anything. They can have gut issues. A lot of shame, um, anxiety, and fear can sit in the GI tract, I find, with people. If there is a lot of, like, suppressed sexuality, sometimes I find a lot of women struggling with, like, reproductive issues or pain or just things like that. So it can really sort of manifest in the body symbolically. Um, and it's really common, like trauma really stresses all aspects of our being. So if you are feeling like you, a lot of people compare traumas. I just want to say that a lot of people are like, I don't know. My trauma wasn't as bad as so-and-so's. It's not about that. It doesn't matter. But if you were to compare, or I'm sorry, if you were to kind of look at what's going on with you and you feel that maybe you've had experience with this, that this is something that has impacted you. Um, I encourage you to seek out more information. You don't, it's to me like RTS is a form of trauma therapy, trauma, right? It's like a PTSD type syndrome. So it isn't that there's, from what I've read in the research and my experience, it isn't actually, the, the treatment for it isn't very different than for like other forms of trauma. Um, what's probably really needed is just an awareness level with the therapist of having worked with this, having insight and what this means, how it impacts people. But um, there isn't like a specialized therapy. Like there isn't specialized trauma therapy for people in car accidents or people with sexual assault. A lot of it is similar. There's different mind-body techniques. Like I, for one, am trained in several where my goal is always to just really help people kind of clear the emotionality of it. Um, with trauma, it's not a valid statement to think that every experience we've had like will come to zero or neutral in our 
response systems to it, like our emotional response systems, but the goal is to kind of reduce that overwhelming flooding feeling that often happens where either it's in direct contact with having like being triggered or we just find that we're super reactive and sensitive to certain themes. So it can clear out that. Um, and the body and the brain kind of reorganize about it around it. So it's never a erasing of an experience. Like you never forget it, but it's, it helps move sort of the energy around it. Cause we can get kind of our bodies, our energy can get really stuck on it. And that's why we can have a lot of pervasive thoughts. We can have a lot of looping with it. Um, the body and the mind and everything is really trying to shift it so that we're aware of our experience, um, but we're not getting overwhelmed by it every single day or every single week or however often it happens. Um, it's something that we can kind of recognize that happened. Like other probably hurtful experiences where you're like, okay, yep, that hurt. That was really painful. It happened. Um, and I can think about it without sort of going into a really, really horrible emotional state, you know? Um, so the therapies are, are quite similar. Um, I think one of the most difficult things with the people that I worked with who probably qualify for the RTS diagnosis, um, not everyone resonates with the diagnosis, is that they felt, a lot of them feel misunderstood, and this is very much the case by people in the public, but also by therapists. And I think that having, having trauma People are so heavy with shame. It doesn't really matter oftentimes the type, um, but definitely if someone has ever had a painful experience as a child, if they felt intruded upon in any way, physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, there's a lot of shame involved in it. It can be very difficult for people to, to, to want to reach out. There's this fear around it, right? And so sometimes what I find is a lot of people will come into counseling kind of setting more concerns with anxiety or depression. Um, one, maybe they don't realize that those are really attached to the trauma, or two, it's sort of a safer way to sort of enter in and probably feel me out as a therapist. And then I find that one, I always laugh and say I'm sort of a bloodhound for pain. Like I can kind of, one of my gifts, one of my intuitive gifts is I can really find the trauma. Um, so generally I'll come across it at some point. But two, if they trust me, it, we can talk more about what that really is. And, and sometimes there's, once I am able to give voice or uh, put words to things, it makes a lot of sense. People resonate with it. They have an intuitive understanding of, yes, that's what it is. So if you are feeling like, whether you've had RTS type trauma or other trauma, my biggest encouragement to you is to reach out, find find supports, find healers to help you really move this energy. You do not, you're not sentenced to life to experience this. You are, if you are aware of it, um, that is always a sign to me that someone is starting to come into a place to heal it. Um, so if you're aware that you have maybe these times where you get really activated, like I said, either in anxiety or panic, or you go down into a low mood, a really, really like shame, guilt spiral, that's a hallmark of trauma. Wherever it manifests from, is it doesn't matter. People can have kind of what I call multiple layers, right? Like once you, there's a lot of research shows that once you've had like one trauma, you're susceptible for more. So if you have, 
especially kids, right? Once they have ingrained an experience or have had a really painful experience, they are way more likely to have more trauma. And so sometimes we're looking at multiple layers of it. It can be very confusing. It can a lot of people are afraid to reach out because they might feel like they're broken, they're defective, there's something wrong with me. With RTS specifically, I feel like there's almost this fear of being ostracized or um, condemned because there's so much guilt and shame in the sense of like loss of, of being alienated and isolated from sometimes family, friends, or community that I think there's this fear that you know, a person will enter into therapy and then a similar experience might happen with the therapist. Will they be like, well, yeah, you're, you know, look at you. Like, you're really an awful person. You, you're broken. Um, so there, there is help there. I, I know that there are some therapists or clinics that maybe even specialize in religious trauma syndrome. Um, but even if not, if you, what's more important is probably a person with a background in trauma. The rest, if it's someone you you really resonate with, um, you know, it's not your job to teach the therapist. But like, it could still be something that offers a safe space. The therapist themselves could do research and kind of have a better understanding. But like I said, with trauma in general, it doesn't manifest the same in anyone anyway. So a lot of tra trauma therapists are really. We're trained to really look at it from the point of view of the client, to understand how it's impacted the client, to understand how it has been internalized, and then to help them release it. So in my case, I'm trained in EMDR, I'm trained in emotional freedom technique, EFT, I'm trained in somatic experiencing. So I, my goal when working with people with RTS is to really look at kind of helping them clear the trauma, so really clear and minimize that emotional um, activation that happens to to sort of help them rebuild, really help a person find their voice and identify what it is that they really want and how and what is important to them. And it, sometimes it's even a matter of learning to identify their emotions um, because if they weren't encouraged or in a nurturing environment where that was important, a lot of people displace that. So sometimes it's like recognizing what am I feeling, what am I needing. That's a huge element I find with people with RTS that is often gone. What am I needing? If especially if female, it's not again limited to just females, but especially if female, um, I find that they they don't even know. That's never been a part of their narrative. It's been irrelevant to a lot of people's backgrounds. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what you need. You have a purpose, or you're here to serve in a specific manner, and that's your duty. That's your job. That's your um, purpose. And so when someone has to sort of go to the foundations and rebuild, it can feel really scary, it can feel really daunting, it can feel overwhelming, um, but it's very doable. Um, you can construct the life that you want. You can learn to move away from these experiences and sort of let go of what no longer serves you, whether it's, again, emotionality, whether it's like you feel like programming or internalized belief systems or top belief systems, you can recreate you can rebuild a life that reflects what you really want. You can you can learn to identify that and really incorporate that. You can learn new ways to communicate, to relate, to work through some of the old fears, to push past comfort zones, and like I said, really create the life that you want. If you are seeking more information, there's a lot out there on the web. I think there's even like forums for people who've 
who feel that they have gone through this. Like I said, it's really uh, an emerging um, syndrome. If you are wanting to connect, feel free to reach out at my website. It's also in the various, it's in the description. So it's www.transcendwellnesscenter.com. You can snoop me. There's lots on the website. Um, social media is connected to it. So um, anyway, hoping this is helpful. It just kind of gives you a little information. This is a very complicated thing. So I mean, one podcast isn't really going to go far into um, the specifics, but it might give you an idea or help you give language to describe maybe something that you've experienced. Sending you lots of love and wishing you the greatest of days.